All right. Gave us a countdown starting at 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and then skipped from 5 to 0, just how I like it. Hello, guys. So, we have a name now. We shortened it to Moggs, but the full name, uh, which comes from Ben, is Meatheads on Gray Street. I didn't know that uh, our gym, MI40, was on Gray Street until he said that, but I like the name. And then, to make it a lot easier to search, we changed it to Moggs, plus it's also like, <laughs> get fucking Mog, bruh. So, we got the name, guys, but... Same four of us. Uh, today we're going to do an HGH deep dive as well as just talking about some of our clients' experiences at shows over the weekend. And, you know, there's going to be a little bit of bullshit in there too because we like to keep it light, like to have fun. Uh, my lawyer gave me some statements that I should say before we start, so I'm going to do that real quick. So that seems smart. <clears throat> the contents of this podcast are solely for entertainment purposes. None of the speakers are medical professionals, and any statements made on this podcast are wholly separate from the coaching and mentorship materials provided by those presenting. Nothing stated herein is to be taken as advice or recommendations. Any and all information presented herein should be construed as purely hypothetical. Always consult with a medical professional before making any changes regarding your health, wellness, or nutrition. And then this little thing that I'll say at the very end, but I'll save that for the end. All right, so. Beautiful. John, did you want to start talking about your experiences with clients this weekend to get us kicked off here? Yeah, sure. Um, am I doing the thing where it's like making that weird noise again? Yes. Well, hold on. Okay. Better? Yeah, I don't know what that is. It's weird. Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, I had three people compete in the last seven days. It's been fun. Um, all of that while traveling to Pittsburgh. So I'll just kind of recap one by one. Um, had a men's physique guy out in Sacramento, did Governor's Cup on the amateur side. Uh, he's been with me for about eight months, natural guy, just to, you know, go over it i think he got second in true novice and fourth in novice we just he just needs a lot of tissue he looks like the person who you know stepped off the beach and decided they wanted to compete he was shredded so i was happy that but i mean he lost 37 pounds in the process Damn. yeah um but i will say like in terms of it being an easy prep we had a couple sticking points um and then like I realized that he just needed more food on his refeeds and just for simplicity to make his life easier when he was with his girlfriend, it would be two days in a row, he would have a burger and fries to finish the night. So that would spike the weight, give us gas to drive a new hole and repeat that every seven days. So um, yeah, then I had Johnny Kim, Asian guy who competed in classic physique and a non-sanctioned event called summer shredding um he got second in his class definitely the most peeled guy in the class uh he actually had striated glutes which i was pretty happy about especially for someone who was a first-time competitor i think he would have fared a little bit better provided if it was an npc show hold on okay should be gone now <laughs> um and then I traveled to Pittsburgh for Teen Collegiate Masters Nationals with Deshaun. Originally I had two clients in the show. Um, I had to pull someone out because they did not want to practice their posing. And that was the feedback from Tyler that he would have placed higher, which at Universe two and a half weeks earlier, he had placed fourth, missing his pro card, basically because he couldn't pose in men's physique. So, Needless to say, I was like, listen, Tyler's not gonna reward you if you don't take his feedback. I'll actually, wouldn't be surprised if he gives you a worse placing. So save your money, get your shit together. We'll take a look at North Americans in six weeks. And um, today I kind of put the stipulation, if I don't, and this is something that, you know, I spoke with um, Barry about, I was very lucky to, you know, pick his ear quite a bit. And um, he basically told me to require posing videos after each training session every single day. Just like we require clients to send training videos, I'm requiring posing videos from him. Like um, so yeah, that was good. And I told him today, I was like, listen, if I don't have them, I'm not gonna put you in North American. So you can just save your money. Um, here's the person I want you to go through for posing just cause I don't have the time to do my men's physique guys posing anymore. And um, 
we'll see. But Deshaun ended up getting second, missing his pro guard by one spot to the guy who won the classic physique overall and the bodybuilding overall the next day. That's a little weird. So, um, yeah, a little weird, but I will say, like, he's 6'2", his cutoff was 220, and he was 205 show day. Ah. So, and he needs a lot of tissue. Overall. Yeah, needs needs a, a lot of tissue. No, 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 the, uh, my guy. Oh, okay, guy. I was like, how? <laughs> okay, that makes more sense, sorry. My guy um, was 6'2", so his weight cut off is 220. Um, this is my first prep with him, so while we did ultimately come short, um, you know, he'd never even made a first call out on a national stage, so happy with that. Congrats, guys. Congrats. Um, let's see. Obviously, I could probably write a book on prepping my girlfriend. Um, we're a little crazy because it was my first time prepping someone for a real show, uh, like NBC show, and then it was her first time ever stepping on stage at all in any capacity. Um, honestly, we probably had our best look um, about Wednesday before the show. Um, we basically followed her practice peak that we had done two weeks, no, sorry, yeah, three weeks before the show, um, but she just ended up spilling up, spilling a little bit over, so that was totally on me. Um, kind of brought her back down around to the weight that we were thinking we wanted her to look at, but it just looked different than when she initially got back down there. So I don't know if it was just too much time trying to hold her as lean as we wanted her. I don't know if it was the lighting at the gym was making her look a little bit leaner um, than she actually was compared to what it looked like up on stage. So lots, lots of different stuff to learn from there, but hopefully we're gonna bring an even better package to Tampa, but she did. Um, they didn't do an overall for True Novice, but she did win her class for True Novice. Uh, she won her hype class um, for Novice, and then for the overall Novice got the you know, third or fourth, and then uh, her hype class for Open had like almost all of the top girls, so she got like fifth in her Open class, but very proud of her. Uh, learned a lot of things. Uh, let's see, I got to see what a P-Funnel is like. Uh, made fun of her because she used it and still peed on her leg a little bit, and so the tanning people had to clean that. Um, yeah, it was overall a great time. Dexter Jackson Classic was probably the easiest show that someone could ever do for their I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. We all have a hose and we still pee on ourselves, so. Yeah, no, it's just crazy, right? I mean, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, you wake up with like a crusty, maybe at like just a sprinkle of a wet dream that just pees in two different directions. But anyway, sure. before we get too derailed. I'm not having too um, many wet dreams the night before a show. Yeah. <laughs> then we... Well, I don't know. It's like the it's, opposite. Yeah. Probably not. I don't know. I'm fucked up. What, so get, what gets me is the little <laughs> dribble. The the dribble when you're done. I can never stop that. The little couple drops no, when you think you're no. done, and you put it back in, and it still gets in your fucking leg. No, and you're just like trying to do like this thing. You're just like, come on, there's just one little drop, and then you just let yeah, it. Yeah, just like like <laughs> squeeze out, you know, like a like the last drop of a ketchup bottle, and it just it just. Yeah. It still gets you, gets you a little wet. I, I don't know how guys' dicks are so broken, but to the females listening to this, I'm sorry for, like, I don't know, probably half the things that I say on here. But, yeah, FYI, uh, guys' underwear always has, like, at least a little bit of pee in it at all times because you're just fucking trying to wrestle this snake head. But somehow, whenever yep. you let go, there's always, like, one more drop that comes out. So the more you know, the more you know. Passing on important And then, I, this is going too far, but, and then, if you have big adductors... Sometimes it pinches your dick hole or your or your, the, like the back of your dick, and it like you put it back in your pants and there's still more pee in your dick because your adductors pinched it off. <laughs> Sorry, I'm done. I'm done. You gotta pull. What you have to do, Ben? You gotta pull the balls over the adductors. You gotta have it like well, just well, yes, like, but the, the, you know it goes back towards your gooch. We'll Whatever just you do, it. just don't pull it behind your adductors and do like a Buffalo Bill, like, you know, cut. <laughs> like, don't just, whatever you do, don't do that, guys, to wrap, to wrap that conversation up. Anyway, here's John with the weather. Now, Tom, uh, let's start our HDF deep dive. Guys, we're going to go into a, we're going to, we're going to take, um, explain HGH to a few different levels today. So we're going to try to start off kind of simple, go into some deep stuff because a lot of podcasts and stuff don't. Um, and then we're going to like, you know, kind of summarize it at the end so that you can understand a lot of what goes into it, understand that there is a very deep science to it, understand that there's a lot of theories surrounding it, 
understand that what you see on paper and what you see in real life because of so many different factors may be a little bit different at times, but we're gonna try to leave you with something that's realistically, um, you know, something you could potentially apply, but we would never suggest you to. So take us away, Tom. All right, so growth hormone. Um, we obviously know that our body releases endogenous growth hormone, but we're gonna sort of keep this conversation to exogenous applications. So you get your GH from your fridge, you pin it, sub Q, IM, whatever you prefer. And that's basically what we're gonna cover right now. So what does growth hormone do? Uh, basic explanation is gonna bring free fatty acids and glucose into your bloodstream to be used as preparation for growth. Uh, so like basically the first action of growth hormone, ironically, is actually catabolic. It brings stored energy that you already have in your system into your bloodstream, but it's using that as preparation for growth later down the line. Uh, basically, growth hormone also goes to your liver, converts to IGF-1. Those two have different actions in your body. So growth hormones, metabolic action on your macronutrients is going to increase lipolysis, which is going to be fat loss, and also increase beta oxidation within your muscle tissues, which is also fat loss, fat burning, kind of. Um, IGF-1 is basically going to do something different. It's going to stimulate protein synthesis, stimulate glucose uptake, and decrease hepatic glucose production. So your liver stores glycogen in it, just like your muscle tissues. Um, growth hormone is going to sort of decrease that output of glycogen from your liver um, into your bloodstream. So that all sounds good. However, growth hormone by itself does not build muscle. If you just use growth hormone, you're a natty person off the street, you're probably not gonna build that much muscle from growth, growth hormone by itself. Uh, several trials like Yaroszewski 1992, 12-week resistance training showed no difference in GH versus non-GH in a resistance training group versus non-resistance training group, which means that people who took GH and resistance training did not gain more muscle than people who just resistance trained without taking GH. So, GH by itself does not actually build muscle. So why does why do bodybuilders use GH? It's basically really, really, really good at synergizing with anabolics and insulin. So basically what we can talk about right here is the Blackman 2002 trials, which is a study done 26 weeks, 57 women, 74 men, all given HRT. Women were given exogenous estrogen, progesterone, different substances like that. They weren't actually given testosterone. The males were given testosterone, however, and the results showed that only the testosterone group males only taking testosterone gained 1.14 kilograms of lean body mass and decreased 1.2 kilograms of fat mass. The GH group added 3.1 kilograms of uh, lean muscle tissue and decreased 3.2 kilograms of fat mass. And the combination group increased 4.3 kilograms of muscle tissue and decreased 4.8 kilograms of fat tissue. So this basically shows that GH in synergy with exogenous testosterone or anabolics is actually where the real magic happens in terms of burning fat and building muscle. Now, the interesting thing about the study is you will see the GH group added 3.1 kilograms of lean muscle tissue. How I said before, by itself, it doesn't actually build muscle tissue. This 3.1 kilograms could just be like intramuscular water, fullness, glycogen. It's not necessarily like an autopsy where they're cutting down and seeing if it's actual fiber growth because it's kind of an unethical study to do amongst a lot of people is to just chop up their muscle tissue and see if that's actually growing or not. So how do does anabolics synergize with GH? So testosterone alone will increase GH to IGF-1 expression. Non or low aromatizing androgens such as primobolin, mastron, equipoise have much less of an impact on synergizing with GH. And this is because estrogen is a substrate for IGF-1 conversion and expression. Increase in GH receptor expression in skeletal muscle tissue is also another way that anabolics synergize with GH. Increase local IGF-1 mRNA expression in skeletal muscle tissue and decrease IGF binding protein 4 in local muscle tissues as well as IGF binding protein 3 
uh, systemically. So binding proteins are basically what increase the active life of IGF-1 in your system. 95% of all IGF-1 is going to be stored in a balanced state circulating in your bloodstream. These binding proteins basically extend that, that half-life of IGF-1. So by decreasing your localized uh, binding protein 4 and increasing your systemic uh, binding protein 3, anabolics could possibly increase the bioavailability of your IGF-1 that's being converted from GH and also increase the serum half-life of those um, IGF-1 that's being converted from GH. So it makes your GH go further in terms of converting to IGF-1 and having those actions be more potent. Yes, John, you have a question. Oh, you're muted. You're John, you're muted. Your Sorry. Uh, <laughs> they're cutting the grass, the maid's here, dog's chewing on toys that squeak. Um, so with this study, do you know if it was done with farm grade or generics? Um, I'm assuming pharmaceutical grade because it was all um, like in a study and um, yeah, I'm pretty sure they're not giving uh, subjects like generic GH. So yeah, I'm just to pass it to the I think it would have yeah. to be farm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. They probably didn't state the specific brand, but I would assume either um, Cero or Gino. And so, I mean, while we're on the topic, where's um, everyone's stance on that? I should. <laughs> I'll, I'll just go. Personal experience I am Team China. Um, all the way, I, I've, I've used pharmaceutical um, and I have not seen that big of a difference, honestly, between um, generics and pharma. That's just my personal experience. Maybe a little bit more water retention from pharma, I mean, from uh, generics, but honestly, um, that's pretty much the same thing. Um, some generics give me a higher um, IGF-1 on my blood work than pharma at the same dose, so it's interesting. I think I think off-season, what I've kind of concluded is like off-season um, non-farm just because it saves so much money and I'm not worried about the water retention might be the way to go. But uh, for a prep where you want things to be super specific and you want as little water retention as possible towards the end, I think that's more where it would be worth it to pony up and get the Gino or Cero or whatever, you know, people insist is the best uh, results with least water retention. What about you, Ben? Um, so I've never used cool. generic, never, never used generic at all. So I really don't know what it would do to me if I did. Um, I've always just had pharmaceutical grade experience. Um, with that, you don't have to take very much for it to do anything. I, I don't know. What I've heard is that generics, you know, per IU don't go as far as farm, but that could just be like nonsense. I have no idea. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I'm just more comfortable using the farm grade just that i know you know for sure i don't mind spending the money on it i'm so, sure we all have, i'm sure we all have like common you know noticed similar benefits and maybe experienced common sides but for me um i probably need to try pushing farm to actually get sides but on generic i never really have gotten sides. I mean, my fasting blood glucose when I was using it three times a day and one of them was before bed, fasting blood glucose in the morning was a little bit higher, but I mean, it quickly tapered off. So it wasn't, you know, I just did a mini cut when I got fat and that was more so the issue than the HDH, I think. Um, but Ben, I know that you get HDH fingers. You already have sausage fingers and Ben guys, he's a massage therapist. I mean, he's going, He's going hard. I mean, he puts his knee in. Yeah, if that's what you want to call it, massage therapist. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just brutalizing us and we pay him for it. Like, I try not to delve into the psychology of it, but I don't, I don't <laughs> hey, know. Hey, I'm, I'm not so the one for it. Anyway, sausage <laughs> fingers. Tell us about your sausage fingers with HGH, Ben. Show us so, your fingers. Um, All right, so, Thompson, I don't know. They're a little fat. Both. But, Thompson, no, I, I mean, did you notice, uh, um, did you do the same ratio? So like, did you do a one-to-one -one with like generics and um, farm? Um, I've, never, I've never never done that. Who, who are you asking? No, so like I meant like you, you've, you've used both, right? Oh yeah, I've used both uh, separately. I've never used both. Um, no, so like when you ran it, so for instance, like in your comparison, did you run like 
two IUs of generic and then later down the line try two IUs and you yeah. saw a different yeah both are three IUs um both pretty much I didn't actually um notice any difference as soon as I switched I had um back in the day um had this uh, uh genotropin pen that I ran out of and had um bunch of generics left over and I just switched and my body weight didn't change I felt didn't change it was like pretty like just uniform across the board yeah and and so how like what how much water retention do you guys notice when you start I think the best way that I could summarize it for me is if I so normally I'll lose like six pounds of I guess water weight mostly overnight um but if I pin like three I use GH before bed, I only wake up about two pounds later. Wow. Um, so I don't, I don't weigh myself like six times a day during the day. So I don't really know exactly like uh, after two weeks, you know, with everything else being the same, I would wake up at this much weight because I just, I'm either growing or I'm either cutting. So there's other shit in there. So I think that's probably my best metric is uh, for me being, you know, usually sit somewhere between 250 and 270. Um, it's about four pounds difference of water weight, at least between night and morning specifically. And did, do you notice a difference based off of the amount of IUs? How much water yeah. you get? Um, yeah, I mean, I hold a little bit more water when I use more. I know some people, especially when they say they use like Cero, sometimes it actually dries them out. Um, I've never had that, uh, but I've also never used Cero. I've only used the generic and with generic, um, it definitely levels off because I've like ran decently high amounts just to see what would happen. And the water weight didn't go up linearly. It kind of just like went up to a certain point, maybe around like eight IUs, and then it kind of just leveled off. So, so um, yeah, I'm, I'm probably right around there. I get about five pounds of water retention. And just to give you a reference as to how quickly the water clears. So I, um, I just came from a deload. I told Ben this last four days while I was in Pittsburgh, I didn't train at all. I didn't do any cardio. Um, and I also do not carry HGH on planes. So uh, <laughs> I did not, I left at 232, I came back and was 227. Uh, now, obviously some of that has to do with like not training, eating lower food, gastric emptying and stuff like that. So probably some of that, but in previous preps when I had ran out and I was, and this was with generics, I had noticed like three to five pound drop pretty much within like four days. I actually have a friend who stays pretty, he stays pretty shredded year round. And um, he was telling me that he was taking eight IUs um, of GH and he travels a lot for work. So anytime he would come back, he would just feel like maybe five, six pounds more shredded than than usual because he wouldn't bring his HGH with him. So all that water would just drop off on that. Yeah. And I've, I've, same thing as you mentioned, Tom, I've ran the um, genotropin pens, pens, right? I feel like there's a lot of faked genotropin, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Yes. And I feel like that's where, like, I had, so back in the day when I worked with a high level coach, they, we're one of the names that kind of stands by, well, we're only going to use pharmacy grade, and if you're not, then save your money. And so I tried it, and this was after having used generics for an extended period of time and having good results. And I can always tell because the water retention, and then as you mentioned, like the hand numbness at night, I'll be waking up and like flailing my arms around trying to get, you know, like I have dead hands. Um, but I was like, okay, I'll give it a try. And I like noticed nothing, no benefit at all. Like I, I didn't see a water retention. Now, what I can say is I did not like, I, I've ran generics in the past up as high as like 10 I used before. Um, and I took this up to three I used because honestly at the time, I don't think I could have afforded much more than three, um, you know, for pharmacy grade is at least what it was what it was called genotropin at the time so that's where i was asking tom where like did you notice a difference because mine is i don't have like a reference point of what three generics versus three i use of farm has done for me yeah i mean pretty pretty um 
uniform across the board. Like I said, not not a huge difference, just like slight difference in water retention. Maybe the look is just slightly different, but besides that, it's pretty much the same. Yeah. With um, with me, my past experience with it, um, I'll wake up heavier than I am in the middle of the day. So I'll go to bed, wake up maybe two pounds lighter. I don't really lose that much overnight if I'm pinning it before bed. And then so for me during the day, I'll wake up, have my pre-workout meal, go work out first thing. After the workout, when I get home, I'm like three or four pounds lighter than my morning weight. And then the rest of the day, I'm like catching back up to where I was when I woke up. So it's it's pretty weird for my weight with with what what it does to me. It's like throughout the day I'm gaining weight, and then overnight I don't lose much. There's a high in the morning, and then I train, sweat all that shit out, and then I'm like way lighter post workout and catching back up throughout the day. So that's just what I've noticed with with my experience. You guys, so do you guys uh, all? You guys, wait, I'm sorry. Uh, do you guys all take your dose before bed? Is that kind of like a common thing? I do pre-workout. You guys all used to take your... I, I think your because of the... So oh, there was one thing we didn't talk about. There, there's a lot of studies and anecdotal evidence showing that the HGH is way more bioavailable uh, when you're sleeping, especially after like the first like two hours or so is when it may peak. Um, and so you would think, oh, you're getting a natural endogenous pulse of it then... I don't need to take HGH, but what they show is you get way more of an IGF response if you take it before bed because your body is used to having an HGH pulse at that time. So if you just throw an even bigger pulse at it, it's like, sweet, we can work with this. It's, it's a very efficient route. From a price point, it kind of makes sense. Um, so we'll finish that thought up. And then I had a question about it. If you guys ever take it pre-lift, but you guys talk about the pre-bed stuff first. Yeah, so... Um... I've done kind of it all. I will say I've never done it like intra, but I've done it in the past. Um, fasted before cardio, even, you know, just fasted in general. I've done it pre-workout, post-workout, and within the last year has been my first experimentation with it prior to bed. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's more beneficial to probably break up the doses the higher the load gets so like previously in the past I had done like three in the morning two um, pre-workout and then three uh, three before bed for a total of eight I, I kind of like doing that I do because of its interplay with with insulin and extending the active life of the idea of one um, I love doing it like an hour and a half or so before I lift, maybe sometimes just an hour before, because the pumps that I've gotten in the past when I've used HGH and Slim together with a ton of carbs, um, especially if your blood glucose is already like not super low when you first wake up, so I can just like have this one meal, do all that stuff and go train. If I time it all right, the pumps are ridiculous, and I feel like there is something uniquely hypertrophic to like that ridiculous of a pump and then the thing is it sticks around for hours once again if i time everything right i'm still figuring it out but if i time everything right that pump sticks around for like hours after my lift like three hours like i've hit a, a uh I hit a chest day before and uh it was like just ridiculous like skin splitting like i couldn't get my arms like as fully close as i want to because it was just so pumped and then the three hours after just sitting in the car ride home and i'm just like what the fuck? And then like two hours later I eat and I'm just like, this is ridiculous. Like I still have tits. This is great. Um, you guys ever had experiences like that? Or do you experiment with using it anywhere in the Perry workout window to get a similar effect to that? Or do you take it, you know, when you do that, Jensen, are you doing sub Q or, um, I am, uh, I do sub Q. I do sub Q. I, I just, it's, it's not even for a specific scientific or results driven reason. I just, I can pin plenty sub-Q often and I don't hate my life, but if I'm doing a bunch of IM injections every day, I'm just like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? That's kind of like what into, I um, You want to go into reasoning behind why you may time it out that way, uh, pre-lift? 
Do I want to go into it? Yeah. Um. <laughs> Not no. to <laughs> no, no, you can no say 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 what you're thinking because you probably have a good reason for doing what you do versus me doing what I do. You probably. Oh well, I'm, honestly, in my opinion, everyone has like their own preference, like pre-workout, post-workout. Um, I think it's just more so how you time it out across the day. I don't think there's anything uh, inherently special about pinning it pre-workout or post-workout. Like, oh, you pin it pre-workout, now you get all this IGF-1 and myonuclide don donations and mRNA expression, and now you have a million new muscle fibers to hypertrophy. Um, while some people just say post-workout, you're the most insulin sensitive you are besides in the morning, and that makes most sense. Um, I've tried both, no real difference, honestly. I think in a deficit, uh, pre-workout is actually a pretty good application right there just because you can get um, some of that artificial fullness that you may not be getting when you have uh, depletion of carbohydrates and not getting a good pump. So I think that once you're in a low carbohydrate state, just um, if someone can afford it, that may be a good application to put it in that pre-workout window just to get some some additional pump and fullness like you were saying jensen but uh, for yeah. the most part i think it just it's schedule dependent really yeah i think you hit the nail on the head when you said it's schedule dependent you know um like you said everyone has their own theories but yeah that's that's one important thing that needed to be said is just getting it in and spacing it out so it's not exactly. just all at once it's definitely 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 the most important one theory that i've had for just experimenting with stuff that i've done is i do just a theory that I had was if you put it in somewhere in the peri-workout window, so a little bit before you train, so you still have it coursing through you while you're training and for a little bit after in conjunction with the insulin, the food, but maybe most importantly, just the specific um, local demands on the muscle. Like you're just, when you're training, you're giving your body like the signals to like, hey, yo, mechanoreceptors, like <laughs> we need some influx of everything that's telling us to actually build so that we can respond to the stresses imposed during training to do better next time, AKA get bigger and stronger. So you combine it with insulin, which more or less just opens up all of your cells to accepting things, but you bias that opening up a little bit more towards muscle by having it in, you know, around the time that you're training or a little bit after. And that was just my theory was that you might get a little bit more milked out of it from there. Um, so one thing that I do, just once again, with this completely unproven bro science hypothesis is on days where it's something I'm really trying to bring up, like my chest uh, or my arms, um, you know, those might be the days where I don't just take one in the morning and one at bed. That might be when there's a third uh, middle, in this case, dosing, that would be like after a shower, post coming home from gym. but that's not necessarily founded in any art science or anything. I won't say the pro that I heard recommended that hypothesis from, and I haven't seen anything crazy, crazy from it. I think there's way more important things to why I've gotten so much bigger. Um, but that was like the theory behind doing that. So. I think a lot of it has to do with like, what are you wanting out of it as well, right? As we just talked about, it's gonna be, from what I've noticed, especially like maybe in an off-season setting, if you were to tell me like, hey, I can only take three IU, I'm trying to get the most growth out of this, well then, probably gonna wanna slam it before bed, right? Um, whereas like, maybe if someone's trying, they're in a dieting setting and they're early on in prep and it's like, okay, well maybe we wanna use it prior to fasting cardio, right? Spike that glucose even more, get get an energy source out of that, and get some free fatty acids going. All that stuff that we, were, you know, Tom was talking about, um, or maybe like they're extremely depleted, and it's like we just want to be able to like feel good in the gym and stuff like that, right? Like, and, and so I think like ultimately it does what it's meant to do. Where you're dosing it is, you know, obviously time dependent, but more kind of like depending on what you want out of it, right? Because I think at the end of the day, like, it's going to work. And the biggest thing is, like, consistency. Whether you're taking it every single day, every morning, or whatever the, the you know, is, is going to be kind of, like, based off, like I said, what you want out of it. But I think as long as, like, you're consistently taking it, it's not bad, right? Like, it, it, yeah. if you were asking, like, hey, I, you can only take it in the middle of the day, and still be like, okay, give me eight IUs of HGH. I'll take it. I don't care, right? 
So, which it brings me to my next question then, like what are your guys' thoughts, or Tom, what are your thoughts on like the, you know, every other day, daily, 5-2 rotation, training days, non-training days? So, when you take HDH, your body down-regulates your natural pituitary production of growth hormones. So, when you take one injection for the next 30 hours, you're not going to be producing your own growth hormone. So from that theory alone, I think that just dosing every single day would be the best course of action if like money is not an issue. I think the whole five on, two off every other day protocols are more so from a financial standpoint versus um, actual practical application. I mean, I think Guy, Sister Nino said like your your brain does not um, produce growth hormone five on, two off. So uh you you don't take growth hormone five on too off so that's sort of my reasoning behind it is like you're gonna down that's sort of like taking test uh a shot of test waiting four weeks and then taking another shot of test like you're just getting the spike up and come down it's better to keep things just uh stable across the board in my opinion at least and gh is one of those slow burn things it's like everyone thinks it's the secret to muscle growth we should probably uh preface this is maybe something worth clipping everyone thinks it's like the secret to muscle growth that it's like what all the pros take to unlock this crazy potential um that it's a secret drug that no one's talking about but in reality we've all tried it it's more so something that you get benefits on from the long term it's like one one to five percent every single day extra that adds up over time versus you just take this thing and you just get 30 pounds heavier in like two months it's also it's also not something that really needs to be used for quite a while you can get a lot out of other stuff before even thinking about that and if you time it right you can get a big chunk out of all the other things and then when you stall you can keep going by putting that in but if you just put it all in at once like i don't know it'll work but for how long do you guys want to talk about the theories behind HDH gut because it just made me think of that when you're talking about waiting until you use it because I a lot of different theories I've heard some I buy into a little bit more than others my waist is super blown out so of course I'm always looking for ways to fix that because I did a lot of stupid shit back in the day in multiple different ways so I'll let you guys weigh in on that then share my thoughts so in my opinion of what HDH gut is is like we were talking about before one of the major side effects of growth hormone is going to be insulin resistance and that's because it's going to draw those uh, free fatty acids and glucose into your bloodstream um, and something you may notice on your blood work is increased triglycerides that's going to be sort of like the fat in your bloodstream just for layman terms um, and i think when you're in this highly um, insulogenic state in the off season when you're um, driving up inflammation from eating tons of food tons of training um, tons of drugs and you're driving up insulin resistance driving up free fatty acids into your bloodstream that's just um sort of like the perfect combination to get visceral fat and i think that's what mainly is um the hdh gut is just fat around your organs um it's a lot harder to lose you can hear people doing crazy like week-long fasts or fasting mimicking diets like vigorous steve talks about uh to get rid of like non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or uh, just fat around your organs so i think that's mainly like one of the main issues with HGH and HGH gut, but that's not necessarily to say it's the only thing that causes HGH gut. It's the whole inflammation, insulin resistance, uh, sort of cascade, in my opinion, at least. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I like, I think people just use it as an excuse as to why your gut's blown out. Yeah. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Like, you're not going to, like, I mean, yes, everything is going to grow. So like the theory of like, yes, your organs are going to grow, your heart's going to get enlarged and that because you're using it, like it makes sense to an extent, but are you taking all the other variables into consideration? Like, well, you're pounding 6,000 calories and you've been bloated all day and you're not doing any type of waist training for the last three years to reach 270. Is that the contributor or is it like- On top of that, gut health. I mean, if you're ignoring your gut yeah. health, it's going to blow you out too. 
Yeah. And, and like, we, we've seen kind of like a resurgence now of obviously functional health being brought to the forefront. So people are paying attention a bit more as to like digestive health. And now the waistline is being taken into consideration more versus like 10 years ago when that whole like HGH gut was the big kind of craze, right? Like you're looking at Phil Heath and Kai Greenwald. It's like, well, was it HGH gut for Phil Heath or was it that he had hernia surgery two times? Like, you know, um, so, and, and I don't think, like, Ben, I saw you the other day taking uh, Baiting HCL and stuff. Like, if you would have looked like 10 years ago, no one was taking that. It wasn't even a thing. No one was like, oh, I should support stomach acid as I'm eating 7,000 calories a day to make sure that I can actually break down all these nutrients. Yeah, just, It wasn't even, just, like, you know, a talk about it, top. Piss it out of your opposite. ass and you'll get big. Yeah. yeah but they did the opposite. They gave people proton pump inhibitors and fucked their digestion up for it. Yeah, I don't. I don't even want to get into that one. That one ticks me off. No. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then you just walk around and flame for the last year from Olympia to Olympia, and it's like, well, really? Yeah, of course your stomach doesn't look the same. It has. You haven't been able to control it for the last fifty-two weeks. So. So then, like, my next question to carry on from that is, hold on, let me. I was. I was just gonna make a note here and just say, by the way, <laughs> I love that we're talking about this because this probably could have saved my physique and made me a better bodybuilder when I did decide to switch to bodybuilding because all the dumb shit I did, I mean, I was just pounding food, didn't know what the fuck gut health <laughs> was at all. I mean, we, there's still a lot we don't know, but Tudka wasn't in the mix, Knack wasn't in the mix. Ox bile or BTNHCL wasn't in the mix. I had to pound insane amounts of food in short windows, so I was just bloated all the time. MK677, long term, so much shit that was really, really, really stupid. Um, Mr. So guys, Mr. if Gallon you were just getting into this, or if you were, I was gonna say, if, you're, if you were unaware of any of this shit, Learn from me from doing it the wrong way. Learn from these guys from actually being aware they got into shit. Like, just really, really soak in this information because it could save you from looking like a fridge and looking more like a Greek god. Okay, go ahead. Now, I, I got to hear this real quick because Ben just alluded to it. I want to hear the gallon of milk because yeah. Tom brought it up last podcast. I still haven't heard this. I would just be peeing out of my butt if I drank a gallon oh, of milk. Dude, um, all right, so let's just get into the stupidest shit I ever – this isn't the stupid – this is really bad. This isn't the stupidest shit I ever I can, did. I can hear you um, from the know, bathroom, but I got a little bit before. Okay. This was just a little bit before um, I found, like, really good sources of information. Probably, like, two or three years before people started putting out good podcasts or YouTubes or really talking about peds, uh, like, way more openly than they were. Not to defend myself here, but there was a summer where every time I would get off the lifeguard stand, I would drink as much whole milk as i possibly could that sounds awful like you're in the sun all day and you just and then have voila pretzels and i was running s23 and rad 140 together so i was just pissed off all the time and my life was actually shit and i probably had a horrible insulin resistance because i was running mk677 at the same time there was no test base involved with this this was the peak of sarm goblin fuckery a few years before it was cool and we had the epidemic of sarm goblins so i was the og sarm i'll just say sarm golem i looked like a golem i didn't look like a, a goblin goblin was too aesthetic of a term to give me um and ben since he like talking about pee and butt uh yeah i was pissing out of my ass quite often i mean it was just like i had a steady routine it was like Cool, make sure kids don't die in the pool, yell at little Timmy for running again, put the, you know, whatever, soda ash in the pool to fix the pH, go chug my milk, wash my hands, have my Wawa pretzel, piss out my ass while there was, like, people waiting to buy stuff at the shack, um, think about my life, and then by the time I was done that cycle, I was pretty much able to go back up on the stand, so I, my strength was high, though, I'll tell you that, you know, um, but yeah, that's an example of what not to do, kids. But so, like, where did the idea of, like, I'm going to get huge if I drink a gallon of milk a day come from? Oh, it, it was just, it was, a, it was a big, the way my living situation and shit was at the time, um, 
and also just the way my mentality was. I, it was partially me making excuses for not meal prepping right, but the other thing was like I had very little time to do everything that I needed to do to do during my little breaks. So with how high my metabolism was, my theory was the only way to get in enough calories was to just milk pretzel, milk pretzel. I mean, I was just chewing the pretzel while I was pouring milk in my mouth. Just, just peak like stupid power lifter stuff where you just, it's just like, all right, instead of doing it the smartest way, let's just do it the simplest way. And I will say it worked. <laughs> like my bench climbed from like 195 to 275 with a pause, like in one summer. Um, but it was just, yeah, I was just like, well, I, I know that I will get stronger and bigger if I do this. There was just no concern. Like, I didn't think, I didn't even think about blowing out your waist. I didn't know that was a thing. I wasn't like really into the bodybuilding culture enough to know like, oh, you want to focus on keeping your waist tight. I just thought it was like just all genetics. Um, I didn't think that I would get as big as I've gotten as quickly as I have over the years anyway. So I didn't think that like, I would have so much systemic growth that it would even be an issue anyway. Um, so yeah, and I just, I don't know, my, di my digestion until the last like year has just been so bad anyway that it wasn't really that much worse than it was before. Um, I'll shut up in a second, but just for like background on that, when I was actually like swimming, swimming, like before I like swam D1 for a like little second in college, leading up to that with the training for all that and all that shit, I was eating like 10,000 calories a day, like no exaggeration, like I I've tracked it before. Um, so to me, it was just like the more food, the better, the more food I eat, the more energy I'll have. And I carried that into bodybuilding um, for way too long for a period in the bodybuilding, powerlifting, whatever I was doing. So now I have to try to unfuck that as much as I can. And I don't know if it's possible, um, but I'll use that to segue into the next one. Say someone does have good old bubblegut bonanza. Do you guys think there is a way to fix it, whether it's completely or a little? And if so, what do you think are the ways to fix it? I definitely think it's possible to fix it. I've seen, uh, we've all seen Nick Walker fix his waist. I mean, he used to be the refrigerator and now he looks a lot better. I mean, it's a lot better because of posing um, a lot. I mean, I think that's a big reason why, but I mean, there's no denying it's a lot smaller now and also, um, the guy who owns MI40, Ben Popolski, he used to have uh, one of the biggest guts in all of bodybuilding to the point where uh, when he competed in the Arnold, that was the year that Arnold was like, yeah, you are, your guts are getting way too big. This isn't, I don't want to associate with this anymore. And he brought it back. If you look at his last show, uh, he was managed to pull like a full vacuum and everything. I think um, downsizing is usually what a lot of people do. Um, from what I've seen is just sort of like taking a break from the whole bodybuilding lifestyle um, is what I've seen some people do to bring it back. But I think that's more so the extreme cases for the most part, just focusing on digestive health, uh, making sure you're not um, eating to the point where you're constantly putting pressure and blowing out that gut. And um, as well as doing stuff like TVA work, like vacuums, um, working on your abs, um, just stuff like that. For, for those that don't know, the TBA is the transverse abdominis. So your rectus abdominis is like your six pack, eight pack, whatever your divisions naturally end up being. But what sits deep to that, that helps you like suck in your stomach when you're doing a vacuum or just, you know, maybe if you're fat and you're trying to look like your stomach's more flat at the beach, that's what that muscle does. Uh, it also has a kind of a role in stabilization in a sense because of that. But just think of it as like sucking in your stomach. So you're training that muscle and your control of it when you're doing vacuums and posing practice and things of that nature. Um, Tom, that was well said, but what if I just want to keep growing and I want to get rid of all my visceral fat? I mean, we know DNP gets rid of visceral fat and we know that Anavar gets rid of visceral fat. Why can't I just slam DNP and Anavar, man? Why don't you want me to grow, Tom? Why do you want me to take a break from bodybuilding? Is I think there's some, some, some studies that actually talk about um... Uh, what is it? Hit uh, burning visceral fat as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, was that brown fat or visceral fat? I'm not sure. It's I'm not, I, I'm not sure. I, I I could be wrong. I think it's visceral fat, but um, I think it also has to do with the fact of like how we know that it 
continues to burn fat for an extended periods of time after you're done doing it, right? So well, and cold therapy helps burn brown fat. So if we just combine it all together, basically you need to just do it inside of an ice bath while taking DNP and Anivar and you'll fix your waist in three months, right? That's actually that kind of genius to take DNP and an ice bath. That yeah. is kind of genius. One, it's perfect because, I mean, the ice bath's the only way you're going to survive the hyperthermia that kills you from DNP. So it's just, exactly. if you think about it, it's, it's perfect advice. Nothing could possibly go wrong. For love of fun. And I, I also think, like, don't take any of that serious. That's more approved. No, just pure humor. Pure humor. But I also never done it. If someone's ever done it, though, send me a DM. I'm curious, especially if you're still alive. You fucking idiot. Really paying attention to digestion, and not just like with supporting it, but like choosing sources. Right? Like, I think red meat's great, but we all know that it's going to stay in the digestive tract for an extended period of time, right? Like if you've ever thrown up like two days after eating red meat and then you see it, like you throw it up and you're like, oh wow, I haven't even digested this yet, right? So like when you're gonna be pushing amounts of food, paying attention to digestion, like are you still full or bloated or extended three hours following a meal and it's time to eat again? Like of course the compiling effect is definitely gonna make a difference. Do you guys, um, do you guys ever use Tudka or Knack? For digestive purposes, like after like a big meal, do you ever use Tudka, Knack, or in a separate way, Metformin? Is there like anything that you guys take consistently? Ben, I know you love your enzymes thing. And I've yeah, used those before. So do you guys have any with, with all of my guys that you have take something after Yeah, with with all of my whole meals, I do a digestive enzyme and a betaine HCL. You you need to get the one with pepsin in it. It's just betaine, sure it'll help a little bit, but the one with pepsin's a lot better. Um, but yeah, I do that with all my whole meals, and then the shakes I don't do it with. But in terms of Tudka, I don't really know specifically if it would make a difference if you take it after the meal or if you just have it in your program in general. I don't know if it really benefits you more taking it after the meal. I could be totally wrong because I have no idea, but um, I take Tudka year-round. Tudka and Nack year-round. I don't really take it out just because what we do whether whether i'm you know heavy on peds or not it's still a good idea to have it in there because you got to eat a lot of food to be as big as we are anyway and it's just going to help everything anyway so i keep that in all the time so i don't really know what it's like not taking it at this point because i've had it for so long <laughs> in my program yeah i definitely use tucka 500 milligrams to a gram per day um i usually take it morning and night i don't take it um with meals throughout the day. I think that, um, I think you do that with oxbile, but not Tudka, if I remember correctly. Uh, is oxbile is something you use with meals versus Tudka is more so something that's systemic. Um, but yeah, I definitely use all of those. I think something else to mention is glutathione um, injectable. That actually does help with digestion a lot. I use it personally, so I have used it personally. I'm not sure the legalities behind that. <laughs> You use code Jensen on Amino Asylum. You Jensen 20 on Amino Asylum. <laughs> not that they have <laughs> I may try that. Day, you can use code Jensen 20. <laughs> it stings. I'm, it stings. I might, I might try that. Aren't you, I think, uh, are, is it IM or sub Q? Uh, IM. And you guys shoot three mils of that like twice a week. Three well, mils twice a week. But. Yeah, I mean, it's usually 200 milligrams per mil. Um, most people oh, say it's, what's up? That's fuck. I, I can't handle anymore. Yeah. I am injections. Oh, it's not that oh yeah. It's yeah, Max it's precursor it's... glutathione. I'll just stick with that. I'm going to yeah, go, just, just go back for most every meal. I can't do that. <laughs> just, no, uh, just, you just, just pin your dick. <laughs> yeah. What? I'm running out of area, so. <laughs> Gotta try the uh... dick. <laughs> Uh, fuck, what was I going to say? I made some notes. Um, One thing I do want to actually add, if you don't mind, um, yeah. you brought up MK677. Oh, yeah. I've sure. actually, I actually coach a bunch of people who are around, like, the age of 20 to 21, and I've gotten the question about Ipamorelin, PHRPs, and MK677 maybe about, like, five times in the last month um, for five different people. It's becoming pretty popular with the whole uh, TikTok 
um, marketing kids who are SARM goblins, basically. So what is your opinion on those secreted gods? Do you think it has any application in bodybuilding or in general? I think the biggest application would be, I think the other ones besides MK677, I can't speak on that well, but when MK677 works so well, I don't know why you would bother taking the other ones. I mean, taking an injection with GHRP6 just to make you hungry, when you can just take a quick oral drop of MK677 has never made sense to me. Once again, I'm so sick of injecting, so why the fuck would I use GHRP6 when I can just do MK677? I think if you're coming off of like a sickness or if you're just maybe at the very end of a bulk, but you're not insulin or sorry, but you're not, um, you don't have any insulin resistance or whatever, you're, you know, fasting blood glucose, HbA1c is all in a good spot and you want to throw an MK677 for the last like four weeks or whatever, just to help with gastric clearance um, and hunger, like both of them are, I mean, they play off each other, but the hunger from MK677 is, is amazing. And that's exactly how I used it the last time I used it. Um, Right now, Did you notice any blood pressure side effects? Just from the water retention, but nothing, um, nothing like from any other factor of taking MK six seven seven was bad. I mean, it's, I've never, I yeah, know. I've never personally used it, but I've just heard like the water retention and the blood pressure can get out of. I've heard blood glucose. Yeah. Just, well, that's what I was saying with the blood glucose. Like, if your stuff, if your blood glucose fasted is already high and everything. I wouldn't throw it in. Like, it's very, 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 very specific use case scenario. I don't think anyone ever needs it. But if you want a quick fix to a hunger issue, once you've already done everything else you can to try to fix it, or if you're just really impatient and maybe you're finishing out of bulk and you, you know, then are about to do a pre-prep phase leading into a prep, maybe that's when you could use it. Um, and that's sort of how I used it last time. And right now I'm not doing with Kara's prep, I was like, all right, I'm gonna let my body want to take a little bit of a backseat, super hyper focus on her, give my clients and her my all. So I used it for a bit just to like get me to eat more. And Kara was making fun of me. She basically called me fat in the nicest way possible. She's like, yeah, you just really haven't stopped eating, huh? She's like, oh my God, you're eating again. And just like the comments stacked up. I'm like, yeah, it makes me hungry, babe. <laughs> I'm trying to grow. Um, but with the water retention thing, this is what I've noticed. This is what I've, all my friends that have ever used it have noticed is like you gain weight, uh, you, gain, you gain water weight in the beginning and then it kind of tapers out. And then after a while you end up losing some of that, um, the water weight drop off. I wouldn't say you lose all of it, but for example, I'll just give like really easy peasy numbers here. Um, say you put on like eight pounds of water weight initially for like a bigger guy, it's 270 or whatever. Um, and then like it, it'll climb up to that eight point for the first like two weeks and then it'll sit there at that, you know, so you're like eight, cool. So I'm like eight pounds heavier than I was before for no particular reason other than this. And then maybe for the next like few weeks after that, it starts to climb down, but it only climbs down to like five above where you were initially. It doesn't like go all the way back down so that it's like you didn't put on any water weight. That's, that's been my experience with it. Hey guys, I got to hop off here. Um, my um, my maid's got a vacuum, and I got to head out for an appointment. But uh, all good, all good. I'll we catch you guys uh, next week. All good. Did you want to throw in any little things before we let you go, John? Um, yeah, HGH works. I would definitely use it. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. 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 We'll wrap it up real quick after you hop off. Appreciate you. All right, guys. It was good talking. Yeah, I'll talk. I'll, I'll see you guys all soon. All right. Yeah. yeah. Peace. All right. See you. Um, let's see, let's see. So we covered all that. I think that probably wraps us up pretty well for about an hour long podcast, but did you guys have any other thoughts in your head that you wanted to get out about HGH or anything else we talked about today? Uh, I just want to continue on about the MK677 for just like one second. It's mm -hmm. something I actually found out that's pretty interesting is, um, when you take exogenous HGH, you're gonna, um, I forget how many, uh, kilodaltons total of growth hormone there is, but I know exogenous HGH is too short of your natural uh, kilodalton weight in growth hormone. So like you're missing essentially two kilodaltons when you take exogenous HGH. And when you take MK677, you get the full cascade of all the kilodalton weights of growth hormone, which is, um, supposed to have a little bit more of a, a recovery cascade especially like the couple that are missing um and that again for me speaking about this obviously i don't 
know the finer details about it. Just obviously, just something I've heard. Not sure if you've heard something similar. With Aquila Daltons, I don't know what that word is unless I've heard it used in a different way. But um, are you talking about the amino acid sequencing being more complete with the HGH that you get from? Um, oh no, I think um, I think it's just the kilodaltons total. Um, I think there's like 93 total, um, and when you take exogenous HGH, you get 91 release, and when you take NK677, or you get an exogenous oh. spike, you get 93 kilodaltons okay. of growth hormone. So, I mean, so, some... okay, so what MK677 does, uh, I should have said this earlier, is it makes Decrease. you naturally release more. Yeah. So in a sense, it's an, it's natural. <laughs> in, a, in a sense, you shouldn't say you're natty yeah. if you're on MK, but in a sense, it, you're still natty because it's just boosting your natural production. So it increases the intensity of your natural HH pulses and it increases the frequency, which is what leads to the insulin resistance issue because we talked about the free fatty acid release from HGH, right? Um, but another note, so also you don't have to worry about shutdown in a sense because it's just making, it's like the, antithesis of shutting down. It's making your body do more of it. It's like, you know how like they, they sell the bullshit test boosters at GNC and stuff like that? Not not way back in the day when they had pro hormones, but like the shit they sell now, like Nugenics and all that stuff. None of that fucking does a thing. I mean, maybe if your test is like 100 nanograms per deciliter, it'll bump you up to like maybe 400. But if you're sitting toward the high end of the range, it does literally nothing. Imagine if a test booster actually worked. That's what MK677 is like, except for instead of test. Um, other thing that I noticed, is progesterone um, tends to be higher when people have taken MK677 for a few weeks. Not sure if you've ever noticed that or have friends that have noticed that, but um, one person I know that was pretty sensitive to gyno um, got a little, yeah. I mean, his estrogen, you, your estrogen also has to be high in order for you to get gyno. I mean, you can get like puffy nips from like prolactin, maybe from progesterone, but like for you to get like real breast tissue, your estrogen has to be high and you have to have other shit on top of that usually, um, but yeah, he started started getting instead of a instead of a little like tack behind the nipple, he started getting more of a uh, I don't know pinky pinky tip. I've seen that with um, both MK six seven seven and NGH giving people gyno. If you look at um, more plates, more dates, he has a actually pretty interesting video of how you could get gyno from growth hormone. And basically, if you're already in the state to where you're. Um, in a state where you could potentially have gyno and you have something in your system that grows everything, it makes sense why you would grow the thing that your body's yeah. using energy to grow more fast. So that's kind of the layman's explanation for that. Uh, but I just, if we're going to end this, let's end this on a bang. Um, what is the most HGH you guys have taken theoretically in the past? <laughs> theoretically. In the elaborate. Yeah, uh, there was one day where I did, I did 20 of um, generic just to see. It just my pump was ridiculous. Holy fuck. It was ridiculous. Um, yeah, I mean it's just you know, in the hypothetical, I got it for cheaps. I just didn't feel it happened. And uh, pump was ridiculous. Um, I had a really painful boner at the end of the day, but Cialis was also in the mix. Did didn't make it. Um, didn't make your dick bigger. I don't know. I'm just gonna. You guys all want to know. I'm just gonna put the funnel on my head. You guys continue. There's my fucking dunce cap. I hope the people that watch this just gotta kick out that. Yeah, I mean, and way in now that I've ruined it. I guess uh, you know to confirm any suspicions. No, it does not grow your dick. I'm still rocking a two incher. So, sorry guys, it's not the fix. <laughs> We will do a whole episode on the whole uh, the whole dick growth thing, but in the meantime, no one this is there's, like there's, you should have prefaced no the episode fuck. with "Does it make you dick?" <laughs> we'll all just get like really, really fried and just do some episode on dick growth. Like we'll record <laughs> really well and like actually have like studies pulled up. We do it like really weirdly professionally. But I'm just gonna like I don't know, pop some shrooms and just talk about dicks for an hour. We'll just like I'll preface it. I'll be like, don't fucking listen to this. But <laughs> for our friends that want to, they can enjoy that. So we got um, the we got the studies back in 2002 where we had um, Sir Sir um, Johnson hang upside down. <laughs> <laughs> Sir Johnson. Ah yes, the Dracula protocol. 
<laughs> Dracula protocol. Uh, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna read the end, the end thing that my lawyer told me. Wait, 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 wait. One, one, one minute, one minute. <laughs> Hey, so, so about all the growth hormone stuff, let's reel it back in real quick. About everything that we talked about, yes. it will work if you're taking it consistently. Yes, there's slight benefits from doing it in separate windows, but all in all, if you're taking it every day or pretty frequently, it's going to do what it's supposed to do. So don't, you know, get on the little minute details like that. It's not that complicated. If you're taking it, it's going to work. But if you want to delve a little deeper, there are some little windows you can play with. But all in all, it's going to work if you're taking it. Some good resources um, to learn more about HGH if you want to, if you guys who are listening want to go a little bit more in depth. Uh, something that I found really beneficial was uh, Alex Kekel's book, The Somatrope and Bible. It's like 80 pages of like just pure uh, scientific jargon. It's funny because I would, if I wrote the book, I would write it back to front, um, honestly, because he goes into like a bunch of scientific details. And at the end, it's like, oh, here's when you use it. Why? I would have just started it with here's how you use it and why and then have gone into. But it's a great book. If you guys want to learn more about it, just he knows that no one would have read it if he just gave them the do this. <laughs> from the exactly. That's why there's like That's why. one little chart at the back of the book. If anyone has it, there's like one little chart that like could have been the entire book. Reading it after he like you know chugged his milk and pissed out his ass and it was just like fuck it's right there the whole time what I need to do is right fucking there fuck you Michael. but no one take that out of context no one make that a sound but to take that out of context we appreciate you bro um, and also I didn't even think about this but we didn't even get into females and HGH but we should just do a whole episode on non aromatizing things that women can do and and stuff like that unless you think that HGH does make you aromatize which some people think so I don't know we'll have a debate um, don't know I said it like that but if you wish to support this podcast and its members, please like, comment, review, share, subscribe, one, rub one out to Ben, whatever you want, really. Um, you can also follow us individually on our Instagrams listed below. And, of course, inquire about coaching with any of us if you feel you would be a good fit for any of our teams as either lifestyle or competitive clients. Guys, we appreciate you so much for listening to this mix of useful information and absolute bullshit that pours out of my mouth. Um, and your butt. Yeah, appreciate you guys. And, and tune in next week when we talk about Lord knows what.